How's everybody doing? Calm before the storm? Yeah, a little bit? Yeah, beautiful snow week, huh? Did you guys down south get as much snow as we did up here? Yeah, yeah we did? Awesome. Gorgeous, huh? Absolutely beautiful. I had a great uh, opportunity to hang out with uh, Jose's staff on Tuesday at Camp Berea. Um, for those that don't know, I was in Christian camping before you all made me a pastor. Um, uh, and I came into Christian camping out of college. Heidi and I did Christian camping for eight years. And so Christian camping is still a major part of my heart. And if you look at statistics, Christian camping is probably one of the most successful evangelistic tools out there as far as introducing people to Jesus and having people come to know Jesus as a personal Lord and Savior. That, that decision is typically made before people are 16, and they usually do that in some kind of a camp setting, which is absolutely incredible. And if you look at the men and women of the Lord in the last 100 years and some of the folks who have done some really incredible things for the kingdom, you'll find out that they came to know Jesus at a Christian camp. So it was fun. I got to go down. They were doing their staff kind of week where they were like really encouraging one another, having a good time. I mean, they went bowling, went out to eat. You know, this is kind of a downtime right now for a, a Christian camp staff. So Jose had me come down and uh, do a uh, devotional, which was fun for me because I felt like I was right back in Christian camping. We were in a dining hall with a fire going. It was snowing. We were on the lake. Uh, it was awesome. If you have not been to a Christian camp, if your kids have not been to a Christian camp, you need to go. It's awesome. So Jose can tell you more about Camp Aria. We are affiliated with the American Baptist Churches. There's Camp Sentinel. I saw, or Patty told me, or I think I saw on Facebook, Camp Sentinel's doing half off before December 31st, if you register. We're going to snow camp at Word of Life the first weekend of March. The first weekend of March, we're going to snow camp at Word of Life. So if you went last year, um, last year we were pretty incredibly blessed. They gave us complete funding for our entire uh, youth group, which is awesome. Uh, this year, uh, they're having us pay, which is good. We want to do that. It's a lot of fun. We want to support them. Um, I bet you there would be some scholarship money available if you're struggling, but we'd love to have you talk to Nathan about that. All that to say, Christian camping is amazing. You should totally get hooked up with one if you haven't been already. Okay. Are we supposed to be doing a sermon right now? <laughs> Earlier, I was so confused. I'm like, do I go? Do I sit? Do I stay? Were you guys confused too? This is Step Up Sunday, so welcome, welcome to church. Ryder, shake my hand. Thank you. Good. Welcome to church. Welcome. Thank you, guys. I hope you're taking notes. Uh, you know, listen, Eden, take notes because Dad doesn't really pay attention well. So, so you might have to explain it to him on the ride home, okay? Yes, you. You explain it to him on the ride home. But we're glad to have you. We're glad. We love kids here. We love absolutely having him here. And, oh, boy. Um, that was me. Um, and I know we're doing Step Up Sunday today. And we want to do Step Up Sunday because we want kids to be able to sit with their parents in church. And it's, just, it's a cool thing. If you go to an Amish church, children zero to a hundred sit on an awful wooden bench for like three, four hours. I was like, holy, when is this thing getting done? But the food afterwards is worth it. <laughs> Amish food is incredible. Anyway, our Amish brothers and sisters are pretty awesome. I hope they do some cooking in heaven when I get there. So this morning... I have on the front of your bulletin Psalms 126. It's what Dan read. Thank you guys for reading this morning. Um, it's what Dan read. And right, it's not, right off the top it says, When the Lord restores. It doesn't say if. It doesn't say maybe. It doesn't say I hope so. It says when the Lord restores. That right there is what is considered a promise. A promise. 
And maybe you're an individual, promise might not be a word that you like. Because maybe your father promised you something and did not follow through. And it still stings to this day. Maybe your mother did. Maybe you had a relationship in high school or in middle school or in college where you were promised something and it did not come through. Promise is a pretty big word. We have things called promise rings. We do promise dances. We do, is that just called prom? I don't know. Um, anyway, prom, does prom and promise have anything to do with each other? I have no idea. It's just promise without the is. Turns prom. Um, but anyway, promises, promises are a declaration from God, a declaration from the word that somebody is going to do something. Okay? And you ready for this? In scripture, there are 5,000 467 promises in Scripture. Let me say that. 5,467 promises in Scripture. That's a lot of promises. Probably enough for, for a day. You know? So there's a lot of promises. So I want to look at a couple of these. I want to look at a couple of these. And I want to do it during the Advent, during leading up to Christmas. Why? Because there were a lot of promises about Jesus in the Old Testament, about this thing, about this guy being born. There are actually 61, they call them prophecies, 61 prophecies about Jesus coming to earth in the Old Testament. But right now I want to talk about the promises and God's promises. These are hard for us. These are hard for me. Because I have felt like God has promised me things and has let me down. You know? Whether it be health, it be finances, it be relationships, it be jobs. When we left Christian camping, I, I thought we were going to do Christian camping my whole life. I thought. I thought that. I don't know where I got that from. I don't know why I thought that would be a promise to me. But where we lived in Maine was absolutely incredible. It was 7,000 acres. Heidi and I lived in a six-bedroom log cabin on a 200-acre lake, four-and-a-half-mile dirt driveway, 10 miles from our nearest neighbor. That's where we lived. And before our Christian camp got big, right, when it was still little, and everybody went home after Columbus Day weekend, from Columbus Day weekend until May, Heidi and I were the only ones on 10 square miles with a little Abishay and a little Hattie. All right. Well, first a little abshag, then a little happy. Right. It was. It was. Uh, it, I. It was cool. You'd think an extrovert like me would go crazy, but it was. It was awesome because groups of people would come to our. And I thought this is what we would do, forever. Right. And when when we drove down that driveway, with a van and a trailer loaded with our stuff, I cried. I cried those whole four and a half miles because it was everything to me after college. Little did I know that I was coming to Lincoln, New Hampshire. And what's cool about watching what God does, I realized that God brought us here for our family. He brought us here for our children. If we were still in Maine, he would have done something probably up there. But we were half an hour drive to town, right? And that was in good weather. And we always had a chainsaw in every car. Every car had a chainsaw, because when you ride four and a half miles on a dirt road, you don't know if you'll have a tree down or a moose down. Both require chainsaws. <laughs> <laughs> both, both, 
<laughs> right? And and for for me, the, the the job that I did as retreat conferencing director and program director, there was no way that I could coach little league baseball or coach. Uh, middle school ski team, or be involved in the rec department, or the Rotary Club, or the Chamber of Commerce, all things that I'm blessed to be a part of in this town. And my children would be going into this town up there that I never would ever go into, you know? And I had this, this big divide. And so I was, I didn't know that at the time. I couldn't have foretold that. I wouldn't have known. But now that I'm here, I can see what Lord has done. And so I have learned that if I am patient, I have learned if I wait, I have learned if I renew my mind, as Romans 12 says, if I renew my mind on God's word, I will find that he does not break his promises. That's a hard one to believe in, though. That's a hard one to believe in. With loss of health or loss of life or loss of finances or changing in jobs, that's a difficult one to remember as life does this thing to us. I'll look at some of the promises. Okay, and if you are an individual who likes scripture, likes to look things up, I get your pen out. I'm going to throw a lot of references at you. So many references, I don't have time to read them all. I'm going to read a couple highlights ones, but this is one. One, the Lord God is absolutely trustworthy. You, my friend, are extremely cute right now. You're just killing me. You're so cute. Are you delivering a Christmas present right now? Oh, man, you looking for Miss Heidi? She's right over there. I love you. Man, you see those eyes, Maria? Wow, that's awesome. Um, what was I saying until I saw those eyes? Thank you, Eunice. Eunice is back from Bible school. She's going to correct me on all these references that are incorrect. He is absolutely trustworthy. He is absolutely trustworthy. Ready? Numbers 23.19 reminds us that God's not human because we have all had broken promises from a human. Titus 1, 2. Hebrews 6, 13 through 18. Those are all promises, absolute written promises that God doesn't break his promises. Another promise God makes to us in Scripture. He does not change. He does not change. Facebook had a picture today that said nine years ago today. Had, uh, Heidi was holding a six-month-old Hattie. I was holding a two-year-old Abishai. I have changed. <laughs> if you look and see on Facebook, I shared it because I'm like, wow, look at us. I have changed. Now, according to that picture, Heidi's a little bit more like God. Because if you look at that picture, it looks like it was taken last week with Heidi. Hattie, Abishai, and Dad look very different. God does not change. And here's the references that says that. Psalms 110 verse 4. It does not change. Malachi 3, 6 through 7, he does not change. James 1, 17 through 18, he does not change. Not like the seasons, not like life, not like dad. He does not change. Next. He promises that he has the power to fulfill his promises. He has the backing. He has the money. He has the strength. He has the connections to fulfill his promises. I have to be careful on this one personally in my life. If you, are, if you hang around me enough, you realize that I'm an individual 
that calls a lot of people. I am connected to a lot of people. So I sometimes can make a promise that requires four other people to say yes or to come through. <laughs> Woo, that puts me in the hot seat sometimes. God's not there, for he does not rely on anyone else. Here is some references that tell us that he has the power to fulfill his promises. Isaiah 55, 11. Romans 4, 21. I'm going to actually read Romans 4. I like this. Our friend Abram. Remember we talked about Abram? I think a couple weeks ago. Maybe that last week when we were talking about Bethlehem. But Abram, remember Abram was that guy that God showed up and was like, hey, I'm going to give you a mighty nation through your family. And Abram was like, um, not to be rude, God, or to question you, but I'm a hundred, and I didn't necessarily rob the cradle. My wife's pretty old, too. Have you considered us? I don't think we're having kids. That ship sailed long ago. And God said, no, have faith. And they had Isaac. And Isaac had twins, Jacob and Esau. Right? And Jacob had 12 boys, changed his name from Jacob to Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. And from there came a guy named Judah. And from Judah came a king named David. And from David came some carpenter named Joseph that lived in Nazareth. Joseph was betrothed to Mary. Mary gave birth to the firstborn son in his name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. God used Abram, an old man who had no children, to bring about the Messiah, the promised one. And this is what it says. This is what Paul writes about it. Paul's been, he's gone through, he's seen it all. Christ has been born. He's gone to the cross. He's risen again. Paul's on a mission to tell the world. This is what he says about Abraham. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old. That's not nice to say about an old man. Your body's as good as dead. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. And that Sarah's womb had been shut. It's also not a nice thing to say. <laughs> not nice. Way to go, Paul. Yet... He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God has the power to fulfill his promises. Abraham looked at his surroundings. He looked at what was going on and said, this ain't possible. But I have this thing called faith, that God has the power to fulfill his promises. And what's beautiful about Abraham's faith, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, that it was a credit to him as righteousness. You need to look at your surroundings. Whether it's your marriage or the lack thereof. Whether it's your relationship with your children or the lack thereof. Whether it's your finances or the lack thereof. Or your job or the lack thereof. Or your health or the lack thereof. You have to look at that. And you have to claim the promises of God. And if you thought you didn't find any, there's 4,000, no, sorry, 5,467 in Scripture. So if you haven't found any, 
You're like me in a pantry. I don't see it, babe. I don't. She comes in. A can of beans are right here, Martha. 5,467 promises in Scripture. Now, let's move on to Jesus. This is what this whole thing's about. Jesus fulfilling his promises of the Old Testament. Jesus is mentioned 414 times in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is Genesis, right? Genesis through, hey, Bible student, is it Habat? No, Malachi? Is Malachi the last book of the Old Testament? She's looking it up. I think it is, right? So Genesis through Malachi is the Old Testament. I haven't took an Old Testament survey in a long time, right? That's the Old Testament. Written roughly between a couple thousand years and a couple hundred years between the beginning of the world and Christ's birth. Jesus is mentioned 414 times. And 61 times he is predicted. Things are predicted like this. Malachi 4.2. I mean, sorry, 5.2 says, O little town of Bethlehem of Ephrata, you are only a small village in Judah, yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from a distant past. Talking about the Messiah. It predicted he was going to be born in Bethlehem. How about Isaiah 7.14? The Lord himself will choose a sign. Look, a virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It predicts he's going to be born of a virgin. 61 of these prophecies, 61 of these predictions. A mathematics professor, and you might have heard this before. This is pretty cool. A mathematics professor did a study. If Jesus only fulfilled eight of the 61 predictions, if he only filled eight, a mathematics professor did a study on what that probability would be. You ready? It's one, excuse me, it's 10, it's one in 10 to the 21st power. Which is, because if you're like me, I need visual. That doesn't make any sense to me. I'm like, does it have a Hemi? 10 and 21st power? What are you talking about? I don't know. Here's a visual. If you were to take a big bucket of coins, big enough bucket of coins, that you could dump the bucket of coins on the earth, yes, the earth, the entire globe, and you were to fill the earth 120 feet deep of coins. Think about that, okay? 120 feet deep of coins covering the entire globe. You were to take one of those coins with a Sharpie, put an X on it, throw it into the earth, shake it up a bit. Blindfold a friend and say, pine the X. That's the same probability of Jesus fulfilling just eight of the 61 predictions. Isn't that nuts? That's crazy. I remember being a young kid, my mom telling me that same mathematical formula. Here are some of the prophecies. I'm only going to cover a couple of them because these are really cool. One, the Messiah would be from the lineage of King David, predicted in Jeremiah 23, 5, written 600 years before Christ's birth. Fulfillment in Luke chapter 3, verses 23 and 31, Jesus from the line of David. Oh, Luke was written four, four years after Christ's birth, by the way. 
prophecy. The Messiah, this one's crazy because it talks about numbers. I would hate to hear the prophecy, I mean, the, 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 the statistics on this one, right? The Messiah would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. That's like saying the Patriots are going to win the Super Bowl in 2031 by 14 points. What? Who can say that? But 487 years before Christ was born, Zechariah 11.13 says he was given away for 30 pieces of silver. What? That was written, and this is what's crazy. The historical documents are not Christian. That's what everyone gets wrong, okay? Your Bible isn't Christian, okay? Come here, let me see this. Folks, this is not Christian. <laughs> You're a Christian. This is literature. This is historical documents. History says that Zechariah was written 487 years before Christ. That's crazy. Then, obviously, we saw in Matthew chapter 26, verse 15, Judas betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. And Mel Gibson captures that scene so well. Doesn't he? Oh, man, when Judas comes back in and throws that silver on the ground and it just rattles and rattles, and you see the snot running out of Judas's face and he hits the ground, he realizes what he's done. Man, Mel... Mel, Mel gets it, man. Mel got it. Okay, prophecy. The Messiah would have his hands and his feet pierced. This one's crazy. Predicted a thousand years before Christ's birth. In the book of Psalms, 22, 16. And it was fulfilled in Luke chapter 23, verses 33. That came to the place called Golgotha. Of the skull. And they pierced him in the hands of the. Do you understand that Christ had to come during the Roman rule? For before and since, the death penalty has not been crucifixion. Christ couldn't come now. For we. Our form of death penalty would not be crucifixion. Is that not crazy to think about? You wonder what was going on in God's heart as he watched humanity played out and the Romans took power and the Romans began to start this thing called crucifixion. And God looks over at Jesus and he says, time's coming, pal. It's playing out the way that I told you it would and that you knew it would. Pack your bags. You're going to earth, bud. After that conversation, that probably was an easy one. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised that when God came to talk to Jesus, found him by some beautiful river, some beautiful waterfall, on some gorgeous hill in heaven, and the angels were hanging out playing some game with Jesus, and God walks up, Jesus knows what's going on, the angels look at God's face, the angels look at Jesus' face, don't know what's going on, but they all scatter. They're like, I'm not sure what's going on right now, but I'm, I'm, I'm out. Because God the Father and God the Son are about to have a conversation, and I don't think I want to be a part of it, because I'm not sure what's going on. I've never seen them look at each other like this before. They're gone. And the Father says to the Son, 
Dr. Babs fell. I already talked to Mary. She knows what's going on. She's a good one. Crazy, right? I get goosebumps thinking about that. That's insane. Prophecy. Thousand years before Christ was born. Psalms 22, verse 18. That they would cast lots. In other words, they would play a game. They would gamble for his clothing. Fulfillment. John chapter 19, verses 23 to 24. The soldiers took his clothes, played a game of dice, see who would take it home. Someone had put a little robe on him to be funny, but it was apparently a nice robe. This one's kind of lighter. Sorry, going heavy there. This one, prophecy. Zechariah 9.9, 500 years before Christ was born. The Messiah would ride a donkey. Fulfillment. Matthew chapter 21, 7. Rode a donkey into the into Jerusalem. I have a friend that always says whenever he's like, hey dude, thanks for doing that. God's using you. He goes, yep, just proves that God still used donkeys. God still uses donkeys. So why do I share this all with you guys? Why do I share this all with you? Because life, life is so distracting. And life offers so many promises. Just watch TV. Remember, you know, those commercials? If you smoke camels, you'd look like this. Right? Have you ever seen a camel advertisement? in the magazine and they look like your neighbor? No. Or an uncle? No. They look gorgeous. Right? Or have you ever seen a McDonald's commercial where they look like people that go to McDonald's? Nope. Every time they're like 23 beach body and they've got the sriracha bacon chicken sandwich. <laughs> You're like, like the, the new McDonald's commercial is all like hipsters. You're like, hipsters don't go to McDonald's. You know? All these promises. All these promises. Those are like the funny ones. But the ones that are really hard. That if you spend your money and your time on your child doing this, 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 and this, it will equal them being a college grad, married, with car, and a 401k, right? I remember one time my mom said, hey, if you had to choose, would you rather your kids be an Olympian, Olympic skier, an unbelievable scientist, a, a musician, right, or a musician, or a follower of Jesus, which, 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 which would you prefer? I'm like, well, obviously, I prefer him to be a follower of Jesus. He goes, well, just wondering, because I'm just watching how you spend your time. And it sure looks like you're investing in them to be an Olympian, to be a rock star, and to be a phenomenal academic individual. Like, oh, thanks, Mom. I'm just going to go over here and lick my wounds. <laughs> you know? Life has so many promises, and they get broken 
all the time. Right now, the promise of a white Christmas is looking pretty good. I was talking with a friend last night, and I said, you know what? If every single Christmas was white, would it be as special? We have to have a few brown ones. That when you get a white one, you're like, oh, it's great. I share all these with you today because I know you're just like me. I know you're just like me. And this is what you need to do. It's a good old song. I should have, I should have had you sing it today, Drew. Sorry, I, I didn't think about this, Tella. It's a good old song that I sang my whole life. And if you grew up in a conservative church on the Appalachian Trail like I did, you'll know this song. I'll just read it. I won't sing it. Though in my head I will sing it. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let His praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises I cannot fail. When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail. By the living word of God I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises of Christ the Lord. Bound him eternally by love's strong cord. Overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises, I cannot fall. Listening every moment to the Spirit's call. Resting in my Savior as my all in all. Standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of Christ my Savior. Standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. And I can hear Harriet play the piano right now. She's in heaven. But I used to say to her, I brought some extra quarters. Would you play some honky-tonk? Because <laughs> Harriet was one of those ladies that when she was younger, she would play anything in any genre. But the older she got, something went a little wire, and everything became honky-tonk. I mean everything. Away in the manger. Never knew <laughs> that it could be honky-tonk. But she started going. And when she was younger, I used to bring quarters as a little kid to church and be like, can I put some quarters in the jukebox and you can play me some honky-tonk? I love Harriet. You think Harriet ever had a hymnal on her piano? <laughs> no. She was just always going, doesn't matter what song you tell her. I mean, you could get up in the middle and just request any song. We used to do the hymn sings from the hymn sings, and you'd say number 405, and she'd be like, what's the name of it? <laughs> Oh, Harriet, trust and obey. She just start going. I love Harriet. I was very fortunate to grow up in a church. No, we didn't have very many kids. That wasn't happening back there. But I had beautiful men and women that uh, had different color hair, although I'm catching them, that loved Jesus. They loved me and they loved my parents and it was awesome. So... Anyway, standing on the promises of God. There are over 5,000 of them in Scripture. If you can't find one, you're like Marcus in the pantry. There are 61 predictions of Christ and what he would do. And he fulfilled every one of them if you read through the New Testament. That is a miracle. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who came to earth. We celebrate Christmas, Lord. Remember that. Give us... Uh, 
Compassion for our neighbors. Give us compassion for those on our street, in our workplace, our family. Give us grace. God, this is a great time that people are talking about Christmas and the meaning of Christmas. We, we love you, Lord. We love you, we love you, we love you. We think of those that aren't here today. Think of those that are traveling all over the place. Um, and those that are gathering for Christmas. Give us grace as we hang out together. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Can you stand as we sing what child is this?